God didn't ask anything too difficult for Pharaoh. Now that's interesting. Pharaoh was an interesting leader of Egypt. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We're doing that again this year. Exodus chapter 5 is fascinating. The first 14 verses, we're going to study that in about three minutes time. It's going to be really, really good. Corey and Reiner here. Corey? I'm looking at a candidate for the Exodus Pharaoh. Ryan? Today, Professor Steve Taylor is my guest, and I'm asking him about his research on dinosaurs. Yeah, Steve Taylor, what an excellent, excellent uh, scientist. He is really good. Janice? Living our lives according to what God says. All right, so take your Bible guide if you don't have one. We'll tell you how to get one in a moment. And we're going to open up the most important book of all the Bible. Let's read it from Exodus chapter 5, and let's understand what God is saying. Exodus 5, 1 through 14. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, Why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, Look, The people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make the brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go, get yourselves straw where you can find it, yet none of your work will be reduced." So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Well, uh, it goes from bad to worse. There's no question about it. We are in the Exodus, the coming out of Israel, uh, of Egypt. 
it is not pleasant. Pharaoh has resisted God. And now things are going to get nasty. We look at this and we discover that, uh, well, you know, the plagues are not nice, but they're going to happen. Now that's important. Exodus 5, fascinating stuff. Moses had been raised in the house of Pharaoh. He was trained in the ways of Egypt, but he knew that he was Hebrew by birth. One day he stepped over the line and he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew. Well, fearing Pharaoh's reaction to the incident, Moses ran away from his life and his inheritance. Moses then forged a new life for about 40 years. He lived in Midian as a shepherd. Quite a change. He took a new family. He settled down. Then he was called by God dramatically and intentionally to return to his people and confront Pharaoh of Egypt. Moses called, or Moses' call began the sequence of the 10 plagues of Egypt, a time when people of God and those opposing God would learn about true power. For Pharaoh, things had gone from bad to worse as he refused to acknowledge and submit to God. And you know, in the end, Egypt loses many lives as a result of this, the firstborn actually. It's not good. Now, I want to say that if you are somebody who is going through the punishment of God, the sooner that we come back to the Lord and the sooner that we ask forgiveness of God, the better it is. Because our Lord is a merciful creator. Very interesting. Take your Bible guide and turn today to the passage we are going to study. That's uh, Exodus chapter 5. Now, if you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us or go to Bible Discovery TV and get one. Let me just say that it will cost us money to send you the Bible guide. So we will send you a sample, the first one, but it, it does cost us money. We've had many people call us and want the free guide now, and then we never hear from them again. But just keep in mind that it does cost us money. So uh, it's, it's pretty difficult for us to handle that and read those things. But uh, anyway, it's important to, for you to be able to go through the Word of God and get a Bible the most important book of all, and get it into your life. That's what we're trying to do. And that's what we do here. And that's what we spend our offerings on. We do not have high paid staff here. We do not. And we do not have all these facilities. It's a small facility here. We're not spending money on big things, except we're spending it on God's word, which is a big thing. But uh, anyway, so let's pray. Father, I pray today as we study this, that you would help us to see what you're doing in chapter five. And as we focus on this, we pray that you would help us to see not our ideas, but help us to see what you're telling us. And Lord, as we focus on Moses and Pharaoh and the confrontation, help us to truly see what your Holy Spirit wants us to see in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Take your Bible and turn it. Let's look at it and hear what it says. It says, afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now notice here, God did not ask anything too difficult for Pharaoh. He didn't ask him for gold. He didn't ask him for his kingdom. He did. God said, let my people go. God does not ask us too much 
of us. God does not ask too much of us. When we understand that, we realize it. Somebody said to me once, well, I could never be a Christian. I couldn't submit my will to God. I said, well, I submitted my will to God and I pray that God gives me the things I need to fulfill the desires of my heart. So I'm very fulfilled. And they're like, well, yeah, but I'm looking for this. And so I said, yeah, I'm not because I found God. God has fulfilled my desire and I'm working on helping others. That's a very different position. Pharaoh did not have that position. Who is this God? I'm not going to give in to him. And that's what he's going through. That's the reason for the plagues. Isn't that interesting? Well, without any more information, let's go on to the next passage, which is chapter 5, verse 2. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness, the desert, and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. And then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go get straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the more let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. Instead of letting them go, Pharaoh makes the people of Israel work harder. Pharaoh did not know the Lord. Beloved, listen to me carefully. Pharaoh did not know them. He did not know the Lord. So that's how he reacts. Well, that's a good point. We need to pay attention to this. But what happens to Pharaoh? Well, let's go back to the scripture. It says, And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout the land of Egypt, together stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them, hurrying, saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh taskmasters, Pharaoh, who were Pharaoh's taskmasters, had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you fulfilled, not fulfilled your task in making bricks yesterday and today as before? The taskmasters were following Pharaoh's orders and not following God. The taskmasters were following Pharaoh's orders and not following God. Ultimately, we must always follow God's instructions or follow the instructions of God. Beloved, there is no better way than to solve many of our problems than to just come to the Lord and say, Lord, 
We need to follow you in our nations, in our politics, in our economy, in our social society. We need to follow you. So Lord, in Jesus' name, I agree with everybody who agrees with me. We need to follow you. Help us today in Jesus' wonderful name. This is what we pray and we said together, amen. Now, from a biblical perspective, why do you think God made humans and apes look similar? Well, the same thing, same reason I think that there are similarities right through all living things, and that is we see a continuum, if you like, which speaks to us of one creator. If we're entirely different to every living, other living thing on earth, we have entirely different chemistry, entirely different everything, then we might think there's different creators. All right, so all month long, I've been showing you clips from my newest resource called A World by Design 3. And World by Design is an ongoing series of interviews that I've recorded with some of the top scientists and researchers in the world. Among them is Professor Steve Taylor, who I introduced you to yesterday. And he shared with us his testimony of how he became a Christian. Well, today he's back to talk to us about something that he's done a lot of work and research into, and that is dinosaurs. Now, there's two different origin stories and two histories surrounding these amazing creatures. One is the secular view, and the other is the biblical view. Now, obviously, both cannot be correct. But before we determine which origin story is best supported by the facts, Professor Taylor helps us to understand, first of all, the differences between the biblical versus the secular view. Let's talk about the secular story of dinosaurs versus the biblical story yeah. of dinosaurs. Yeah. Can you distinguish, can you tell us the differences? Well, there? I mean, once upon a time, 65 million years ago, the dinosaurs ruled the planet, uh, according to the, the modern stories, um, <clears throat> and a, an asteroid came or something came and wiped them out. And of course, the fossil record, which the secular uh, world believes is, goes back about 500 million years from now to a pre-Cambrian period, record of sedimentary rock full of fossils, various mass extinctions that wiped this group of animals out and that group of animals out and this group of animals out. That's the secular narrative. So what's the biblical narrative? Mm. There was a mass extinction event. It's called the biblical flood. And those layers that we see around the planet um, that, that uh, formed the geological column were not laid down over millions but over one year, the flood year, when God judged the world that he'd made with a massive, catastrophic, cataclysmic, worldwide, one-off, never-to-be-repeated flood. And its purpose was judgment. So we're told in the Bible, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ said. And it was to finish the old world, and he was going to start again. But he would save representatives from every animal kind, and from the human race, Noah and his family were saved on this huge boat that's called the Ark, and that repopulated, rebooted the earth. And this happened about 4,400 years ago from now, i.e. about 2,400 BC. And actually that's the biblical narrative. So worldly narrative, millions of years, lots of mass extinctions. Biblical narrative, one mass extinction event, the flood, and all of what we see uh, in biology and humanity after that event. That's a summary. So 
in the Bible, man and dinosaurs coexisted. Absolutely. So on the biblical time frame, they coexisted in two ways. Firstly, because they were created at the same time. So in the pre-flood world, there would be lots of dinosaurs. But also because Noah was commanded to bring representatives of every animal kind. That's not every animal species. That's just the cat kind, the dog kind, the horse kind, the dinosaur kind. He would bring representatives of the different dinosaur families onto the ark with him. And they would all come off after the ark and begin to spread through the world. But like so many other species, families, uh, dinosaurs have largely uh, become extinct. And, but you do have tales and evidence through uh, recorded history and archaeology of dinosaurs and man coexisting. And you actually have a biblical account also of, um, of man and dinosaur coexisting together in the book of Job. Okay, so that's the biblical picture. So now that we understand some of the differences between the secular versus the biblical view, on tomorrow's show, I'll have Professor Taylor back to talk about which view best fits the evidence. You know, what's interesting about this is that uh, he is a scientist uh, and he's a professor. He's mm -hmm. just an excellent uh, an excellent man. And it, it really is important for us to stress the fact that these are people who are not, uh, you know, well recognized necessarily by just Christians, but they're recognized by everybody. He's a professor. Yeah, he is. And, and, and beyond that, he's a wonderful guy too. A uh, very, very lovely man. Nice to talk to. Right. Yeah. Uh, very unassuming and yet brilliant, brilliant guy. Yeah. He got me on a couple of different things. Uh, and he just told me to look, search this way and search that way. And I did. And wow, he's absolutely right. So anyway, that's just very interesting. Okay. Go ahead, Corey. All right. Well, we're going to be taking a look at a theory today, a potential identification for the Exodus Pharaoh. Take a look. While the personal name of the Pharaoh of the Exodus is not given in the Bible, there's at least one good historical candidate for him, Amenhotep II of the 18th dynasty. Using the Bible's own recorded history and reinal dates for King Solomon, a date of 1446 BC can be arrived at for the Exodus. Comparing that date to Egyptian chronology lands us in the middle of the 18th dynasty. In the records of the 18th dynasty pharaohs, it's been found common practice not to give the personal names of foreign or enemy kings. This may go a long way in explaining why Egyptian-trained Moses did not name any pharaohs in his writings. When examining the life of Amenhotep II, reigning in that 1446 BC date, there are striking parallels to the biblical account. Amenhotep II ruled directly after the only pharaoh of the 18th dynasty to rule for over 40 years. This is key to identifying the pharaoh of the Exodus, as Moses lived 40 years in Midian before the pharaoh who sought his life died. Amenhotep II was also not a firstborn son, so he wouldn't have died in the tenth plague of the firstborn, and the son who succeeded him was not his firstborn either. There's a major discrepancy between the military success of Amenhotep II and his father Tutmos III. Tutmos III conducted 17 military campaigns and led fierce military resistance against Egypt's enemies. By contrast, Amenhotep II was only able to conduct two campaigns, and rather than resist Egypt's enemies, made treaties with him, this despite his claim of being a fierce panther in war. 
His final military campaign into Canaan is historically unusual, occurring in the off-season when his men would face less than ideal weather. The purpose for his excursion may best be seen in his list of spoils. He claims to have captured 101,128 captives, a noticeably gigantic number in comparison to all other campaigns that boast a few hundred to a few thousand. He also claims to have taken chariots and weapons of war. It appears Amenhotep II was out to get slave labor and replenish his military. All right, guys, this was just the smallest introduction. Again, there's a couple things here. I, I'm going to be doing a, a longer investigation into this on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Corey Babechko. But if you want to read uh, one of the most extensive articles on identifying Aminatep II with the Exodus Pharaoh, then I would encourage you to go on to academia.edu. And this is what you need to search, Aminatep II, and the historicity of the Exodus Pharaoh. That is a scholarly article written by Dr. Douglas Petrovich in 2010, and it is uh, it, it will give you all of the details. Uh, it's a, it's I think it's the most extensive article done to date on this identification. And what was it called again? What did they search for? Aminatep II and the historicity of the Exodus Pharaoh is you, the title of the article. Um, and again, that would be on academia.edu. And you just interviewed this guy. Uh, yeah, on, on a different topic, but yeah, yes. But, but it's just fascinating because mm -hmm. this is all the the discrepancy surrounding the exodus and all of that. So it's very yeah, interesting. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to see his perspective on it. And he's definitely not the only scholar who has attempted to identify Amenhotep II as the fair of the exodus. But it's a very intriguing case. And I think he's done the longest treatment of it. So it's definitely an article worth looking up. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Excellent. What a great time it, it, that we're living in. Because yeah. we it's awesome. have so much information and uh, discovering things all the time. That's right. Well, living our lives according to what God says is what I focused on today in chapter 5 of Exodus. I'm going to read the first two verses to establish where I'm going to go. It says here, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in. And told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Verse two. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Now we are establishing here right off the bat that Pharaoh, he's saying, who is this Lord? I don't know who this Lord is. He might be your Lord. He's not my Lord. And by the way, I'm not going to do what he says because I don't even know who he is. Now we understand from Moses and Aaron's perspective, God called Moses to go back to, is uh, to, to Egypt and confront Pharaoh. And Moses was very reluctant. I don't speak well. I stammer. I can't do that. And God said, who made your tongue? Who made you? But he also gave Aaron, Moses' older brother, as a helper. And Aaron was with Moses. Now they had to go and deliver God's word to Pharaoh. It would not be Moses or Aaron that could convince Pharaoh what to do or not to do. They were the spokesmen for 
God. And you, every time you will hear them say, thus says the Lord God of Israel, they established every time for whom they were speaking and what the instructions were. And it would be up to Pharaoh to, to either make the decision to do what this Lord God said or not to do. You might be wondering, where am I going with this? It's very much the same with you and I today. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we become a Christian, which isn't just a word that we use, to be a Christian, to be a true Christian is to give one's life to God in submission, understanding what he did for us, the penalty that he paid for our sin by the shedding of his blood on the cross. And when we understand that, and we ask God's forgiveness for our sin, it's that that gives us forgiveness. It's that that reconciles us back to God. And because Jesus didn't stay dead, he came back to life. He gives us that same gift of eternal life so that when my physical body here dies, I pass from life to eternal life. And that's the beauty in in what happens. But when I become a Christian, Jesus asks us as his disciples to, to tell that, to spread that news, to tell that word of God, not to add to it, not to take away from it, not to compromise with it, not to put our own spin on things, but to tell the word of God as thus says the Lord. And we need to live it out because words can be very cheap, can't they? I can say one thing and, and do another. But we have to know the word of God, get it into our hearts and get it into our minds so that we can respond properly and that we can go and live our lives as ambassadors for Christ, as a light in this dark world. And, 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 and to, to be speaking the truth and living the truth, those are the things that we need to do. As Moses and Aaron were going before Pharaoh, it would not be their words that brought any change. It would not be their miracles, their their actions that would do anything. It was coming from God. Let's, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, allow God's word to move through us, that we need to speak and live God's word and allow God's Holy Spirit to make the changes necessary in those that we speak the message to. Spotify and iHeartRadio is a place where you can get these programs. They are podcast. And if you want to do that, that's excellent. You can have them on your phone. You can have them on your computer, anything you want. So make sure that you do that. Let's pray today and ask the Lord, Lord, I need you because I need to serve you and I need to do things your way. Help me, Father, today and help our politics and help our economy and help our social services to follow you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.